0: Hello, and welcome to The Parting Shot, your dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Alan Scott. To stand out in the true crime podcast genre is nearly impossible these days, and that's because the market is so saturated with them, for good reason. People, including myself, are obsessed with true crime. I mean, honestly, I can't get enough of it. There is nothing more exciting to me than a night on the couch with good food and maybe like a dateline marathon. You know what I'm saying? So when a podcast does stand out in the true crime genre, you know, it has to be good. It has to be legit. I'm talking about the staple ones, you know what I mean? Like Serial, for example, the one that started it all or a personal favorite of mine, My Favorite Murder, hosted by two friends, Karen and Georgia. I love them so much. But the biggest one of them all has to be Crime Junkie. It's just so damn good. But I'm biased because I'm a longtime fan and Crime Junkie, which is why I'm so excited for today's guest, Crime Junkie's own Ashley Flowers, AKA the Queen of True Crime. Each episode, Ashley, along with her best friend, Britt, break down a true crime case in a unique yet relatable way. The cases are sometimes well-known, but often they focus on cases you've never even heard of before. But for me, what makes them so unique is how they offer ways to get involved and to give back. They choose cases intentionally, often featuring stories the mainstream media just won't tell. The results are not only a compelling podcast, but also a philanthropic outreach in a way rarely seen in the world of podcasts. And because of the success of Crime Junkie, Flowers and her team created AudioChuck, a production company that not only focuses on true crime podcasts, but is now beginning to branch out into other markets and genres. Additionally, Flowers is taking her reputation as the queen of true crime to the literary world. In January, the paperback version of her New York Times bestselling novel, All Good People Here, will be published. It's a great book. You really should check it out. But what is it about true crime that makes people like me and Ashley so obsessed with it? Well, I've always said this. My interest in true crime is never about the gruesome details of the crime or the murder, but rather what could bring someone to commit such a horrible act. While we know it's possible, a part of me can't fathom the idea of somebody like murdering somebody else outside of self-defense, of course. In many ways, you could say crime junkies are focused on the humanity robbed of someone within the crime, which is another thing that makes Crime Junkies so unique. They're victim-focused. They're telling the stories of the victims instead of through the gaze of the murderer, for example, like so many other outlets do. In doing that, you realize that there are human beings involved in this story. It isn't just another piece of entertainment for you to listen to. It's real. You need to hear their stories in order to bring them justice. And the justice that for many of them is often elusive. In fact, here at Newsweek, we just launched a new true crime podcast about the disappearance of Fauna Fry, a missing woman from the Pacific Northwest. It's called "Here One Minute, Gone the Next," and it's an incredible behind-the-scenes look at Fry's case. It's our intention to tell Fry's story and bring attention to it so that hopefully her family can get more information and maybe closure. Definitely check that out at newsweek.com/podcasts. I'll also link it in today's show notes. So go on and grab a snack because I'll be right back with Crime Junkie's own Ashley Flowers.
1: On the premiere episode of Here One Minute, Gone The Next, a Newsweek podcast. John, why are you coming out with this information now?
0: Because it's been three years uh, that Fauna's been gone. When her Jeep was first reported, that night they had it towed away I called up the sheriff he thought that she was eaten by
1: bears where's the, the silver did the bears ate it? yeah that doesn't make any sense she, she wouldn't have taken it with her so, so right. somewhere between that jeep being parked out in the middle of nowhere and being in town the, the coins are missing right well one
0: theory that we had is that she ditched the jeep there with somebody else right and then left with most of her stuff and the coins Some stuff she chose not to take. Here one minute, gone the next. Available
1: on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Art19. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. It's so nice to meet you. You too.
0: So you know that you have an addictive podcast when my boyfriend and I will literally Like, in the months leading up or in the weeks leading up to our holiday travel, we'll actively not listen to the podcast so that we have enough episodes for the drive up to wherever we're going. Like, literally, we do that every year.
1: It's so funny because people always tell me like, oh, don't bother releasing stuff around the holidays. Nobody listens. And I was like, I'm pretty sure like that's when I'm always looking to listen yes. to stuff. Like we launched Crime Junkie on like that, that week before Christmas or whatever, because I was yeah. like, nobody puts out podcasts this time. And this is when I need it the most. <laughs>
0: yes, 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 yes. I mean, that's exactly what we do. It is yeah. such an addictive podcast. I mean, I I love the true crime genre. I'm, I, mm-hmm. I work in it sometimes a little bit. I just I'm obsessed with it. And your podcast has defined the true crime genre, I think, for podcasts in a way that that I mean, it's always on the top of the lists, and it's actively, you know, trending and it's always the things. What do you think it is about Crime Junkie that resonates so strongly with people?
1: Well, you know, when I made it, I was I made the show that I kept looking for. And I think that I've always kind of used myself as the potential listener. And for me, what I love about the show, what I went to create, was something that really was victim-centric, that really stayed on track. I have terrible ADD. And so (laughs) I was like, I don't want to get lost in inside stories or theories. I really do want to just give you the facts Um, So I think that that's a big part of it. And I also think just me and Brit being hosts from the middle of America, when like so often you see hosts from a lot of the bigger cities, I think there's something that people like and relating to us a little bit. And I think we were the first show in the true crime genre that really gave people a next step. I was always consuming true crime content in a, a ton of different forms. And I would be outraged and I would be mad and I would want to do something. But I'm like, but now what? Like, I don't even know where to start. And so I wanted to make sure we gave that to people. Like if you were if you're upset about this, if you want to see something done, here are the next things you can do.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you touched on something that I think I've always sort of thought about with Crime Junkie is being from the Midwest. I'm from the Midwest. Mm -hmm. I live in Los Angeles now. But I I relate to both of you in how you kind of approach understanding stories you know what I mean Mm -hmm. because I've always said this about people I mean being from the midwest that like we always give people the benefit of the doubt because Mm -hmm. we have to interact with lots of different types of people with different politics and views and religions and Mm -hmm. all these different things whereas sometimes on the coasts you kind of get all the same people having the same points of view (laughs) and and so sometimes you gotta like you know work around that and I think with Crime Junkie it's just I don't know. There is. Do you find that with people that like you get those kind of responses from all different types of people that they like that you guys kind of give lots of different reactions and you kind of are relatable in that way?
1: Yeah. Again, I think that's why that they feel like they're sitting down with their two best friends, which is what I wanted the show to feel like. Not so much that we're talking at them, but with them. And they really do feel like they're one of us.
0: When you were first starting, you said that you did it to create something that you hadn't heard in the landscape of true crime podcasts. That must have been so scary. To I mean, how how did it all get started, and what was sort of the impetus to sort of be like, okay, let's press, publish, and go? And how did you even choose on your first story, like all of it, you know,
1: <laughs> all the things? Uh, so for me, it it wasn't scary because. I wasn't expecting it to be what it is. I wasn't, like you said, expecting to, like, redefine the podcast genre. I just saw so many people who didn't have a background in broadcast, in anything else, get to do this. And the the barrier to entry was so low. There's not a world where I could have gotten into this if I would have had to go the route that you do with TV or even yeah. radio. So I just had such a passion for not just true crime, which I have had a passion for since I was very, very young. I got it from my mother who got it from her mother before her. But I really fell in love with podcasting, and I consumed it all. I mean, it's why I called it Crime Junkie. There, there just literally was not enough. And like I said, I kept waiting for this one show. It, it wasn't coming, wasn't coming. And at the same time, I had this other kind of life, my personal life, where I was volunteering with Crime Stoppers, And eventually, mm-hmm. I was on their board of directors. And they kind of had this mission for me of, hey, no one your age really knows what we are. They're still like confusing us with Scruff McGruff the dog or whatever. Yeah. Can you just do some yeah. local brand awareness? And so I thought that maybe I could do these two things together. I was like, oh, how cool if I could be this like Indianapolis podcast. I could do some promo or some word of mouth for what Crime Stoppers is while telling these stories. And, again, I was just hoping it'd be some, like, cool indie thing, like, local, and it just exploded. I think when I started, um, I was really intentional about the first episodes, actually, because we came out with uh, two or three the first time, and it was Missing, Nikki McCowan, and uh, The Murder of Lacey Peterson, because what I wanted to show people was that I will tell you the stories that you don't haven't heard that are not everywhere. Like we're going to find new ones, but also I'm going to tell you the ones that you think you've heard a bunch of different times, but maybe from a different perspective or at least get you to think about it differently. Even if you don't walk away feeling different, I will get you to like ask the hard questions. And so that's what I wanted people to see with those first episodes is that they're going to get like a range of things from me.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have to say like there was an episode of crime junkie that helped me convince because I wanted to tell the story of Robert Wan, which was a DC man who was mm-hmm. murdered in the mm-hmm. And I used that, I used the Crime Junkie episode to be like, people want to hear this story to tell Audible that I did a show on Audible about the whole case and everything.
1: I know. And, and, I loved it.
0: Oh well thank you so much. Thank you so much. And no, it and I and but it was that catalyst of being like people want to hear this story and the biggest podcast in the country is telling this story. So like We should tell this greater story. Oh my gosh. You do do that where you, you tell both large stories and niche stories about audiences. I mean, frankly, two, I mean, I'm going to be very frank with you, two straight girls from Indianapolis. I don't think necessarily were I expected to tell this queer story of this very unique triangle of what was happening in this story with this one particular case that of Robert one and you did it. So how do you decide the stories that you're going to tell?
1: The stories come to us a bunch of different ways. So obviously, when I first started, it was just, you know, what cases had I heard in my however many years of life that really stuck out to me among everything because they're probably going to stick with others. But then once the show really got going, the cases are coming at us from all different angles. I mean, we have a case suggestion form online, which are used by listeners who just are telling us stories that they want to hear about. But we also get contacted by family members of victims, by law enforcement. And so we also have a team that's actively like going out and trying to find the cases that aren't reported on and then going and trying to hunt down law enforcement or family members. So it really is kind of all over the place. I mean, we have we're trying to tell a certain, you know, of our Of our cases, I think our goal is always to tell a minimum of like 30 percent of them need to be of persons of color or minority communities. We. I think last year, and we just did our content planning for next year, we're hitting closer to that 50%. So there are there are certain advocacy things that we have as like guidelines. You know, we want to talk about X, Y, and Z issues this year. What cases can we highlight that really highlight that issue or that nonprofit or whatever that is? Um, so it's, it's a wild formula that goes into deciding what comes out every week. Well,
0: and it's so important too, because it's, I mean, the we know that stories are often only told from about one type of person or because mm-hmm. the one one person looks a certain way. So it gets a lot of news coverage. And mm-hmm. I think Crime Junkie does a really good job of really sort of saying we need to tell more stories of the stories that you aren't seeing on the news every single day, you know?
1: Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a big issue for me. So, you know, when we first started and I had no resources, I was in this like weird catch 22 where i wanted to course. tell different stories but i could only tell the stories that were reported on so um a couple of years ago when we had we started to build out an actual team we mm-hmm. started hiring reporters to start doing that original reporting so we can kind of be the solution to our own problem
0: and that's what i wanted to ask you is that like you have the main episode that goes out every week but you also have the fan mm-hmm. club episodes so and the episodes are so deeply researched and i mean the script is i mean i i have to write every single week like that's a lot of writing that you guys are doing no joke. how much goes into making each episode i mean that must be hours and hours of work
1: Hundreds of hours of work um, <sighs> Now, with our whole team now because we have a research department now. We have writers. We have reporters. We have fact checkers and then our editors and then our producers. So, I mean, in a single episode, you could be talking easily 120 hours at the minimum wow. plus depending on – how big was the case file that we got? How many people did we have to interview? And the only way we've been able to do that is because we have a team now and it's not just me and Britt sitting in a spare room.
0: Well, and because of the popularity of of Crime Junkie, AudioChalk came about, which, I mean, allows... not only a bunch of different types of research and work that can go into each episode of Crime Junkie, but also the different podcasts that Audio Chuck is doing and the different things. Where do you see like Audio Chuck going and will you only be doing true crime or do you see expanding in different areas?
1: Well, podcasting will always be our focus um, because where Audio Chuck has already gone and continues to go is we've now got publishing. We are venturing into TV and film. We've got we're looking at products. So we're, we're doing a ton of stuff, but podcasting will always be the core. I love it to death. And I don't ever want to like, I hate when people make something like, oh, we're going to basically pilot this to see if it works for TV. And I'm like, I want to make something for the medium because I love that medium. And if it turns into something else, that's amazing. But podcasting will be our core. And I do want to branch out into other genres, but I want to do it thoughtfully. So I think what people know is audio check. Our core will always be true crime. That is what I know inside and out. That's what I know how to make. But an example of how we're going to branch out is we just recently did um, brought on Jason Hoke. He was uh, formerly at Imperative, and he is basically running a sub network called Waveland. And Waveland, we're going to have a couple of co-productions that are that are true crime-ish, but mostly what he's going to be focusing on is drama. Like, that is what he is really good at. And most of them are going to be true stories, but not necessarily crime, just great drama stories. And I think that's how I plan to build out the network is finding someone who is great at the genre that they have – and and figuring out how we build out these sub networks.
0: Yeah, I mean, that true crime really is because I'm like that, too. Where like, I've been obsessed with true crime since I was a kid. I remember when I was a kid, I convinced my brother to sleep in the top bunk because I told him it was cooler. But I knew that if the killer came, I'd be able to get out quicker if I was on the bottom bunk. Like literally, <laughs> Sorry, I love it. like I am one of those lifelong true crime people. Yeah. And it's and as I've gotten older, you know, of course, I, I start realizing like, oh, the stories are being told from different angles and like we need to be victim focused and we need to be focused on sort of organizations and what the way Mm -hmm. the different ways that you can kind of give back. And one of the things that I love about crime junkie, but also just audio chuck in general is that like you said, with crime stoppers, you find ways to sort of give back to help. Mm -hmm. And even different episodes, you talk about an organization you're supporting or what's sort of, what's sort of like the philanthropic goal of crime junkie in a way. And like, do you have sort of a focus on, I don't know what you want to be doing in terms of giving back, you know?
1: Well, I think our mission that we've kind of developed has always been that I don't feel good about taking from the true crime community without giving back. I think about it like a relationship and no relationship is healthy if it's one way. So if I every week am going to be talking about the worst time in a family's life or a person's life, what am I doing to make? it better or make the world a better place or prevent something like that from happening. And I think that's the approach that we take with all of our content. And so it can look very different. Um, Sometimes it's just so we've done episodes where we talk about domestic violence and we've done we've worked with a ton of different nonprofits that work in domestic violence. We've done stuff here locally in Indianapolis. We did a big endowment with a domestic violence shelter. But it could be kind of across the board. I mean, we've worked with so many different nonprofits that we just want to make sure we are giving back. And then we also – I founded my own nonprofit called Season of Justice with the goal being to raise funds for advanced DNA testing. So science is moving really quick. There's a ton of cool stuff we can do to solve cold cases. But that's not how the legal system works. And so the way that budgets are decided on years in advance, like that money is just not there. And so I kept coming across cases where we'd work with families or law enforcement. And over and over again, it was just money that was the issue. And so um, I wanted to create like a really clean way, completely not associated with, you know, the podcasting network at all, but like a clean way for them to just have this pool of money sitting there that they can apply for to help solve cases. I mean, I think the last report I got is there's like 11 cases that have been solved, even more Jane and John Doe's that have been named. Wow! So it's all, again, I just want to make sure if we're taking that we are giving back as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's something that I think, I mean, I've always sort of been sort of very eager to learn more, especially when I listen to a crime junkie case, we immediately come home and we're like, well, let's look at what, if there's a GoFundMe or if there's Mm -hmm. more information somewhere, if there's all these different things, In what ways, like when people listen to Crime Junkie and they want to get more involved or they do feel like they're sort of like crime junkies themselves, Mm -hmm. like how can, how do you think, how would you suggest people like you did getting involved with Crime Stoppers in your community? How do you, how would you suggest for people to get more involved in true crime in their local communities or ways to give back?
1: It really is. I mean, so there are many ways that are case-specific. And usually, if there is a case-specific way, we talk about it in the episode. But for me, when I was just looking for how can I give back to this community before I had a podcast or a platform or any financial stuff to give, I was like, how can I give back my time? And so I did a lot of researching on what organizations were available in my area. And there really weren't a ton who we're working on what my passion was, was unsolved cases. And I think the thing that people will have to kind of come to terms with is it's not as glamorous as you want it to be, right? Like, as I wanted them to, like, hand me over the case files they don't have time for. And I was like, just let Ashley Flowers solve them. <laughs> and it's not what yeah. it was. It was board meetings and fundraising and a lot of paperwork, like the boring stuff, but the boring stuff that needs to happen to keep things moving. And so there are plenty of organizations. Again, it's what are people's passion? Is is it a specific issue within the true crime community? OK, you could find a domestic violence shelter. You could find any number of things. Or is it just unsolved crimes in general? Um, there's a ton of options. And that's exactly what I did when I was yeah. young.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, giving back to sort of like especially domestic abuse. I mean, there's so much of the stories that we tell stem from domestic abuse and family issues and like different things. And Mm -hmm. so giving back in that way, I think is always like the best way to go. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's, it's where so much comes from. Also like there are episodes, there's something that you mention a lot on episodes where the cases that stick with you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The stories that stick with you that you just can't get out of your head. Does one come to mind that like that of stories that you've told that you're just like, I want resolution on that. I want something from that. You know what I mean?
1: I mean, every single one, I, I tell people it's my one superpower, and I'm glad I found a job where I can use my superpower, that yeah. I can retain information about these cases like nobody else. So I think about all of the cases, I can rattle off all of the details of all of them. I mean, I think the ones that are probably the most top of mind are whatever ones I'm I'm like deep in at the moment. So I just came off of a year-long investigation into the murder of Darlene Hulse here in Indiana and that one is particularly frustrating because it feels like there's so much there and so much that can be done. And what her daughters are facing is just a prosecutor's office that isn't moving. So th- th- there's a lot of frustration there. And I'm just about to dive into a new case for the DEC Investigates. And that one I'm kind of really just starting to, like, live in and get to know the, the people.
0: And that, I mean, I have to mention, too, the deck is one of the most ingenious podcasts I think I've thought of or heard of in years just because it is it's so literal. Of course, there are there are playing cards that that are distributed to to prisons that people can that have victim information on it that could potentially solve cases. Why hasn't anyone done a podcast about this in years? It's such a smart idea.
1: Thank you. I and I this all goes back to Crime Stoppers, because when I was volunteering with Crime Stoppers, that's where I came across my first deck and kind of had this idea for a very long time. However, I knew that I couldn't start there because I knew it was going to take a team of reporters um, for us to put out a new episode every week. And we go actually to those places and meet with the detectives and collect that sound in person. It, it's a heavy lift. It is a heavy, wow. heavy lift, but it's so such worth a it. good
0: podcast. Such, such a Thank good podcast. You. I really love it. Well, I have to get on to the other exciting thing that you have worked on that also good news is coming from. The paperback is coming out of All Good People Here. The, yes. Your, your first book, which is so exciting. What made you, because I mean, I have to write all the time and every single time I sit down to write it is the most stressful thing I think I've ever done and even if it's the most simple thing it's the most stressful thing I've ever done yeah. in the world. What made you want to write this book and go in that direction?
1: Well, I had always had this idea in my head um for, loosely about you know what the premise is where it's like what if everyone was so busy trying to do the right thing and trying to protect people that they actually end up mucking it all up in the end. And I slowly over the years, like more details started to like fill this story out. And I knew it was fiction and I wanted to tell it. And I was like, you know, all I do is podcasting. It doesn't really seem like a podcast. And my agency had approached me about writing a memoir and I, at the time, I was like, I'm 31. I have not a whole lot to say. I was like, come back no. in 20 years and I might be beneficial. But I, I I kind of went back to them. I said, well, what about a fiction novel? I said, you know, a- any real crime junkie is not just consuming documentaries and true crime podcasts. Like the way I read, the way I loved Agatha Christie growing up, I was like, yep. we love it all. Mm-hmm. And they told me, no, nobody wants that from you. <laughs> but I persisted. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... And it came to life and I was so proud of it because I really felt like that was the best way for me to tell this story that was kind of living in my brain. And it was exciting to see it come together because it is a whole different process writing a book versus writing a podcast episode.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but I think it's actually ingenious of you to do because I mean, you're right. Like people who know people like us who are like lifelong true crime people we also read the fiction crime stories and thrillers. That's, that's all we do. I mean, I'm reading mm-hmm. the latest, I think, Lisa Jewell one now. And it's like, there's so many so different. Good. So good. It's so good. I'm st- And it's about a podcaster. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, we do consume that kind of thing. What kind of reactions have you gotten from the Crime Junkie community to the book?
1: They have been amazing. They loved it so much. And I felt... I felt validated that I that I I'm not the only crime junkie who likes free fiction, just like you said. Like it was it wasn't it was more than a hunch. I know I know this group of people and they it was wonderful how much they loved it. But my God, when I tell you it was like two days after release and they're banging down my door for a second one, I was like. Girls, I just finished this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Give me a breather. I have to have yeah. babies and marriage, all yeah. these things. I have to do things. <laughs> oh, my yeah, life. yeah. Because I yeah. turned
1: in my final draft literally the day I went into labor. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you're kind of busy. You have lots of things going on. <laughs> had, yeah. There is one thing I wanted to ask you that I, I've always sort of found, you know, when dealing with the public, especially if you ever share intimate things or you tell intimate stories or personal mm. stories or like in Prime Junkies, very serious stories. That when you interact with fans, I mean, how do you, because I'm sure you hear lots of really dark stories and you hear Mm -hmm. lots of really intense things, probably on the daily coming from different people because they think they want to, I mean, you're in their ear every day, so they want to share with you. How do you protect sort of your own mental health, if you will, in terms of sort of like maintaining a healthy balance of, okay, I'm going to put this aside for right now and focus on my baby or whatever. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I... I always tell people that the I believe there are certain people who are made to live in this world, any kind of dark world. Like, right, we've got detectives who, if they can survive and thrive in it, were made to. You've got so many. We actually have a show coming out this fall called Dark Arenas, where every episode we interview someone who lives and works every day in some kind of dark arena. And I feel like I'm just one of those people. I can live in it day in and day out. I can even take it home and think about it at home. I want to think about it at home because I'm so invested. But And I am blessed that I can compartmentalize. And I wish it was a tool that I could teach people, but I can turn it off when it's time to go home and play with my daughter. And all she wants to talk about is Winnie the Pooh. And that's great. And I'm there. And then when she goes to bed, I can transition back into it. And It doesn't get heavy for me the way that I think it might for most people because of, I think, the way that we're giving back. I think that Mm, for me, if I was just consuming, consuming, consuming and like putting this out there, it would be a huge weight. But with every case, I see an opportunity to help or to change something or to give back. And if I wasn't doing it Who would like who would be, you know, I I hope more and more people do, but I feel like the world's a better place because of me doing this, which makes it a lot easier to do.
0: Totally. I mean, that's one of the things. And my last question for you is when people ask me, like, well, what do you like? They think what I like about true crime is the murder or the crime or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. And I always tell them, like, no, the gory stuff is not why I'm here for true crime. I'm here because I'm victim focused, but I'm also like I'm a humanist. And so I. I try to understand why what could bring someone to do something Mm -hmm. so horrible because I can't see people being that bad. You know what I mean? Like I don't. And I wanted to know what you think, what makes the true crime genre so popular and and why do you think people respond to it in the way that they do?
1: Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I always say that our brains want to solve puzzles. It's why you think you see something or hear something. Your brain tries to like wrap it around something it knows. It doesn't like uncertainty. And so I think that our brains are constantly looking to solve and to understand, right? If it's if it's unsolved, we we want to put all the pieces together and figure it out. And even when it is, it doesn't look right because it most people can't understand why that happened or why that's what the person resorted to. I also think that from my own experience, when I used to consume just as a consumer, I would look for what could I have done differently if I were in that situation? How can I protect myself? Because there's so many cases specifically involving like children. Nobody wants to talk about crimes against children. And I get it. I mean, I have a daughter. It is so hard. But I look at the stuff that's happening and I'm like the reason these people continue to get away with what they get away with is because nobody wants to talk about it yeah and so I think there is this bit of self-preservation in consuming stuff in the true crime genre that we're hoping we can better protect ourselves
0: yeah well Ashley thank you so much for taking the time to do this it was like I said at the beginning a huge honor to finally speak to the person who's been in my ear for years (laughs) literally years ever since the beginning oh
1: thank you so much this was wonderful
0: What true crime podcasts do you listen to? Let me know. I'm H. Allen Scott on everything, and I'm always looking for, like, what everyone's listening to. And definitely go listen to Here One Minute, Gone The Next. It's a great podcast, and it's just a really compelling story, and hopefully somebody knows something and somebody can do something. And thanks for listening to Newsweek's Parting Shot. I hope you're able to leave a little rating and review wherever you're listening to this episode. And you know what to do. Go to newsweek.com and subscribe to my newsletter, because it's great. It's called For the Culture. Until then, watch something fun
1: and have a great day.